Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Happy Friday. Recently, the Conventual Sisters of St. Dominic made a short video cutting to pieces, or so they claimed, the Mass of the Ages second documentary part. Today, I'm going to be showing why so many of those so-called errors in the Conventual Sisters short critique are actually not errors at all. They represent errors on the part of the critic. That'll be today's show of Rules for Retrogrades. Just going through uh, item by item and showing why it's not actually in most cases a valid critique. In the meanwhile, I want to, before we get going, I want to remind all of you that now open for free, for those of you who need it, is a Baltimore Catechism class on Retrograde Classical Academy on timothyjgordon.com. People have wanted this Baltimore Catechism class for a long time now. Steph reminded me in the car earlier this week, we need to put up, and that's what we're doing. It begins the first Tuesday of September. It will run eight weeks, basically for September and October, and it will be an invaluable resource for adult students who are continuing to educate themselves and for homeschoolers, particularly in high school and middle school as well. All ages are welcome, and we've made the course free. It's a way that we try to give back. We're making more and more of our retrograde classical academy courses free to you if you need it. Now, there is a strongly suggested donation for those of you who don't need it absolutely free, of $100, a donation you make on DonorBox. Please do make the donation if you can. But the point is, the Baltimore Catechism class will run only eight weeks, and it is a service that we feel we can contribute here at Rules for Retrogrades. Go to timothyjgordon.com. There are limited spaces, people, limited spaces. We only made 300 seats virtually, of this course. So so get in today. They're already almost half gone, uh, right around 150 gone. So get in today. Go to timothyjgordon.com. You have until September or when space runs out. Also, get out of your blue state. Get to a red state. Do like I did. You now know I am a denizen of Mississippi, Catholic in Mississippi. I got from the bluest of the blue to the reddest of the red here in Mississippi, we are the Roe versus Wade killing state, and we're proud of it. Go to realestateforlife.org, and a pro-life person, probably a Catholic, will help you avoid the hassle of getting out of your blue state. Get to a red state. Do so if you can while the summer remains one more month, and then you got one early month of fall before the midterm elections. Things are going to get only crazier and crazier. Ratchet effect dictates you need to get out now. Realestateforlife.org is the way to do so. All right. So there is this documentary, mini documentary criticism, which came out by the Conventual Sisters of St. Dominic. It's called something like Problems with Mass of the Ages Part 2. And it was sent to me as devastating criticism of Mass of the Ages. And I said, oh, really? And it's, I think, an only 18-minute video. And when I watched it, 
I had to laugh because, as you all know, I'm a guy that is firmly committed to going where the truth leads. And I'm, I want to know what the truth is. So when I looked into it, the first, I think, four critiques were four strikes in a row, which whereupon the, the baseball analogy doesn't even hold up, right? Because you're only allowed three strikes at bat. The first four critiques are devastating to the notion that the conventional sisters have anything to offer because people usually put their best arguments first. So I'm just going to go through the errant critiques that they make. And I am known for being someone who goes exactly where the truth leads with particular regard to the Latin Mass. I debated on the Church of the Ages YouTube page against my friend Tim Flanders. I debated, look, there's a million problems with the Novus Ordo. There's a million problems with the de facto abrogation of the TLM that's been happening recently over the last year, but more broadly speaking, over the last 50 years. But one of the problems is not lyseity or validity. Neither of those two things are the problem with either what Vatican II did or the, the, the post-conciliar goon squad, or even with what Francis is doing. The problem with what they're doing is actually a bigger problem in some ways, in some common sense ways, than problems with validity or lyseity. And that, that meant that people, people kind of piled on. Well, that means you're saying that Francis can do what he's doing. Yes, he can, if he's evil. And I do believe he's evincing an evil intent every day. So I, the point is, I took this position that surprised some trads. I'm like, I still don't think. There hasn't been one corpuscle of evidence shown that it's not licit or it's not valid to do this gutting of the Latin mass. What, what is being shown time and again is the overall evilness of what they're doing. The, the squad, Francis and the Spirit of Vatican II people. So that, that's just a little reminder. I'm not this big partisan guy. I, I think this might be why I, I wasn't asked to be a part of the second Mass of the Ages documentary, which I, I really found, um, and it, everyone around me agrees, is by and large much stronger than the first one. I mean, a little bit of backstory. Uh, Michael Knowles appears in it. And he even told me, he was like, yeah, when they asked me to go in it, Tim, I was like, sure, I'm sure you have Tim Gordon in it. And they said no. So I, that's fine. I'm going to defend Mass of the Ages 2 anyway because the second one was such a strong outing. You know, hey, you guys, let's just be real now. There have been trads who have been in the game defending the TLM for you know, since 1960, late 1969, God bless you guys, you know, tip of the hat. But over the last four years, the fact of the matter is, among people that began going since late 2018 to the Latin Mass, they all report two, the two predominating things that brought the Latin Mass to their attention are T and T, Taylor and Tim from our show. So, you know, just throwing a little love my own direction here. And that's why, because the, uh, the Mass of the Ages, number two, even without me in it, was such a strong outing that it's, it's worthy of defense here. So I'll, I'll get started. Firstly, the Conventual Sisters begin their 
tawdry criticism piece by saying, by misrepresenting, number one, how trads characterize the TLM. In other words, they say a, a very common normie refrain among faithful pro Novus Ordo people, which is a group in the church I really don't understand well. They represent them strongly. They'll say something like this. Trads today have an anachronistic view of the TLM because it's done so beautifully. It's almost always done as a high mass now, for one thing, or it's always a focused effort in the TLM low masses that are offered. And they simply don't understand how badly it was being done before uh, the council. And that's what they say. This is a misrepresentation of what trads think. Uh, sisters of the conventional sisters of St. Dominic. It's flatly wrong. And here's why. Trads, myself included, simply don't care how the 1962 missile was being said, or the, the TLM, more broadly speaking, was being said prior to the council. I don't care. I've never cared. Oh, they practically they just whispered the prayers. They whispered, but get this, Tim. The normies will say, they whispered the prayers really fast. What do I care, man? We're comparing platonic form to platonic form. The missile of the TLM, the missile of 62, to the missile of, of Paul VI. Missile versus missile. I, I, don't, I don't really care you know, whether the TLM was being done badly before the council and theoretically, the missile of Paul VI can be done well, another favorite refrain. We'll, we'll deal with that later, whether it can be done beautifully. I don't really care. What trads always say correctly, correctly, is I don't care. The missile of 62 is clearly better than the missile of 6970. Okay? So, so that's the thing. They also say, oh, trads all think that, that most of the TLMs being offered were, were high masses. I've been to only a few TLM high masses, probably five to 10. I've been to, I don't know how many, how many scores of low TLMs, and it's simply better than the Novus Ordo. Prima facie, everyone knows it. You, you ladies do too. Everyone knows it's better. Okay, that's not emotionalism. That is an overall summary judgment that we all issue when we go. And that's why you're all so defensive of the Novus Ordo. Trads believe rightly that the missile of Paul VI is significantly less reverent, even done at its best, and less beautiful, even done at its best, than the TLM's low mass. So it's not true that it has to be a high mass, and it's not true that the TLM even has to be done super, super well to pass muster. The TLM done badly is still better than the Novus Ordo done super well. Sorry. So you misrepresented in point number one the way trads themselves characterize the TLM. Okay? And I've always maintained this. And I've always been irritated by this critique. Critique number two by the Conventual Sisters of St. Dominic goes like this. It misrepresents a chart, a graph. Could we get that graph up? American religious services as a graph of Catholic mass attendance from the period of years spanning pre-Vatican II, during Vatican II, post-Vatican II. Do, um, 
So do we have that graph? Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking at it on my own screen. And if you'll note, the highlighted portion, it is a graph simply of a different, and Eric Sammons is the one that pointed this out to me. Thank you very much, Eric. This is a graph of something altogether different, a different subject than what the conventional sisters said it was. They said it's a line graph of Catholic mass attendance. It's not in America, they claimed. This is a graph of American religious worship services being attended weekly by age groups. This is not inclusive of Catholics only or the TL. So it doesn't prove what they purport that it proves. It's a straightforward mistake of the graph and the data. Now, the reason this is so significant is because, as Eric Sammons also pointed out to me, and this is very important, there is only one. <laughs> that is to say, Juan. Juan. Diocese. In all the United Capital S states that reported weekly mass attendance before 6970. Thank you very much. Another tip of the hat to Mr. Sammons. That's very important. And it insinuates something. I mean, it's only one diocese, so it's not enough data to make generalizations from, to make extrapolations from. But incidentally, it does support the view, and I think it's in Michigan, it's a single diocese. It does support the view that uh, the Novus Ordo accelerated the pre-existent uh, decline in religious fervor among Catholics as well. And sure, the nuns might say, well, this decline in religious fervor in America more generally probably had to extend to Catholics. Of course, I'll grant that. But you can't make the interpolation of data that you guys make because there is this decline that was 1960s wide previous to the release of the Missal of Paul VI in 1969. You can't say from the fact that most Americans stopped attending religious services that it de facto must include Catholics. But there's data out there that suggests, yes, the decline did extend to Catholics a little bit before Vatican II, but it was accelerated. It was exacerbated, is the acceleration within context, the American depletion of Catholic faith, the Catholic depletion of American faith among Catholics. Okay, so that's a flat, embarrassing misapplication of data and a misapplication of a graph. Sorry, sisters. Sorry, ladies. Sorry, sisters. Number three. Now, these are the first ones right out the box. This is quite embarrassing. My, a, a friend sent this thing to me and said, oh, I think this is kind of devastating. What? This is devastatingly badly done. <laughs> it's just badly done. And it makes Mass of the Ages look that much stronger. Number three. Their third critique is a misrepresentation of how trads characterize, we already said how they characterize TLM, but now Bunini's role in the revision of the Mass. The uh, sister narrating the onslaught against Mass of the Ages says, trads seem to think that Bunini uh, made this revision creating the new liturgy as a, quote, one-man production, and, quote, this was not a one-man production. This is another thing I've simply and honestly in all my years doing this have never heard a, tradi a Catholic traditionalist utter. Viz, 
that Bunini single-handedly wrote the new mass. I have never heard that. I don't think any trad out there thinks that. Now, there are some abiding trad misquotes. We're going to get to it in a second. There are some abiding trad generalizations that are really, really woefully inaccurate. We'll talk about a couple of them. But I have simply, simplicitaire, never heard a trad say that Bunini single-handedly wrote the new math. Trads know about the concilium. They know about what Ratzinger complained that, that the Concilium was essentially a runaway convention, that Bunini was being granted too much power, that, that uh, Ratzinger went and complained to Paul VI, and Paul VI said, no, this is my guy. That is not the same thing as saying that Bunini single-handedly wrote the new Mass. We know it was a Concilium. And furthermore, if it was single-handed, then it wouldn't be at all connected to the cadre of leftists before, during, and after the Council. It would just be Annabale Bunini. More broadly, so that this is wrong. This is just three swings and three misses. But as part of this third miss, I should also point out, what do typically trads say? And I don't think this is a, a, a bad trad generalization. There is such a thing as a bad trad generalization. I have to correct some of them. But trads just say, rather, um, Bunini was at the head, at the forefront, in a governing role of directing the new mass's most aggressive blasphemies or desecratory policies. That's what they typically say, and I think that is readily apparent when one looks at what actually happened, when one looks at what Ratzinger wrote, what Louis Bouillet wrote. He writes some devastating things in his personal memoirs, particularly Bouillet. He says, this is so embarrassing, this new mass. People are going to think when they look at this, even though there's lots of plenty of good stuff in the, the Novus Ordo, technically speaking, like the Eucharist still, they're either going to laugh or they're going to feel scorn. He, this, this is one of the guys that knows. So once again, a swing and a miss on Critique 3 here. No trad I've ever met online or in person says that Bunini's role in the revision of the Novus Ordo, the writing of the Novus Ordo, was a one-man production. I got to say, pause for a second here. Folks, you know, sometimes trads do this too. When you come out with a, a scathing commentary that can only be called a critique of some work that someone else has done, you better front load your best shots. And to start out with three, the way this thing was forwarded to me with the cocksure kind of swagger, it's, you know, a British lady, so she sounds super classy. Americans are obsessed with the British accent. Sounds true. It sounds true, but it's just not. And I, I think the British accent might have fooled some of you. And it's just the first three critiques are embarrassingly paltry. It just They make Mass of the Ages look stronger than, than ever. Next, uh, it's a myth, another myth about Bunini, a quote-unquote myth about Bunini. Uh, just... That he was a Freemason, writ large. And she says, no evidence was ever produced that Bunini was a Freemason. This is the first time, I think at about five minutes in, critique number four, where there's a little bit of veracity to the claim made by the nuns. Um, now, there's not any material evidence that's ever been produced that proves, that's dispositive, that Bunini was a Freemason. However... What they meant to say is no material evidence ever produced. 
Again, as a lawyer and a philosopher, I will tell you all, or a law-trained guy and a philosopher, I'll tell you all that evidence has a much broader meaning than, than most people use it. There's no material evidence that is dispositive. There is plenty of circumstantial evidence that is real evidence. It's how most cases are decided, by the way. You, you probably think from the movies that circumstantial evidence is always unusable or something. It's not. It's how most cases are decided. Uh, there's no material evidence. Trads argue that, for one thing, the new mass is a kind of prima facie evidence that Bunini, who was at the helm of the ship, is doing some wacky, Masonic, religious, indifferentist, ecumenist kinds of stuff. And I think it's a somewhat strong claim. It needs more pro forma specification. And unfortunately, there's not tons of it, but there is some of it. The, then, then the nuns go on to addressing the one bit of evidence that they, I guess, sort of grant to trads to the effect that Bunini was a Freemason. His banishment, or whatever have you, to the Iranian nunciature in 1972. And the nun who's narrating the critique says in a kind of cocksure way, well, why didn't the Pope simply defrock or excommunicate Bunini if he was seeking to punish him? Hmm. Seems like a fair question at first. And again, I'm not trying to be so smarmy or sassy back. I don't, I don't think that's the way. I would simply respond by saying, look at the treatment of Theodore Cardinal McCarrick. What did Benedict XVI do? Did he defrock McCarrick? Nope. Did he excommunicate McCarrick? knew. What did he do? Something highly similar, arguably quite less by way of punitive characteristics. He simply privately set McCarrick on a path of uh, prayer and uh, renunciation of sin. That's not much of a punishment for a guy that's supposed to be a cleric anyway, right? If anything, you kind of removed some of the hassles of his job. Now he just gets to go pray and read and reflect all day long. Sounds like, sounds like a reward to me. And that's what Benedict XVI did to make Carrick. What did Paul VI do to his guy, his heavy hitter, Annabale Bunini? Something stricter, evidencing more predicate crime to Bunini than what Benedict did to McCarrick. He sent him to Iran as the nuncio. That's a hell of a punishment. You know, it's not one of those places you try to get to in the spring once a year for the running of the tanks, right? <laughs> the running of the bulls or whatever. The uh, the, running of the blood. Yeah, the running of the, the blood in the streets of, of Christians dying in the streets like dogs. It's not something you do. I would So, so very, very weak point number four. Uh, four swings and four misses, even though this one had a scintilla of truth at the beginning that, yeah, I, I do wish there was more material evidence in the Bunini claim, Bunini Freemasonic claim. That still is anything but disproving it. I still think the gut hunch evidence is there's something really strange about this guy. The new mass and what he was doing evidences something strong against this guy. And I will close point number four by saying that biographical details about both Anibali and his whole family 
which is an interesting approach to these famed bad guys of the 20th century. Deep dives on the families of these characters can be quite telling, quite illuminating. We're just talking about uh, Anderson Cooper. You guys probably know about the family. That's telling. That's evidence of a kind. It's circumstantial evidence, but it's real evidence. Most cases live or die based on circumstantial evidence. Sorry, ladies, it is not the case that most cases turn up or down on video evidence or DNA evidence of OJ killing some white lady, right? That Usually you don't have DNA evidence. And usually when you do have DNA evidence, you don't get an acquittal. But that's a whole race thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, okay, point number five. They raised the point about Bunini and the Good Friday liturgy prayer that I was going to have it play for you, but now I'm not sure if we'll get a copyright strike. So I'll simply say this. Uh, Mass of the Ages does inaccurately uh, claim that this Bunini quotation is, uh, uh, you know, that every stone should be removed that proves to be preclusive to, you know, reunification with the Protestants to remove every stone in the way of reunification, that it comes from uh, something that Bunini had written more broadly of uh, all of the prayers in Mass. And the nuns point out, well, this only comes from, the, the quote's partly butchered, and it only comes from the Good Friday liturgy prayer. Okay, like, I guess out of five tries, this is critique number five, score half a notch for you. But the point is this. Annabale Bonini is still saying things that are indifferentist when it comes to his ecumeniacality. He's an ecumaniac. We shouldn't be changing prayers, whether it's one prayer or a sweeping program of prayers for all the liturgy, to bring back a bunch of heretics. Now, we ought to be preaching the gospel, preaching the magisterium, preaching uh, uh, infallible tradition, those three things, in order to win hearts, including those of the Protestants. And we can even narrowly tailor our evangelizations to the group we're speaking to, the way St. Paul did, blah, 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 I know. But you can't be changing programs of prayers to remove every stone, particularly in the liturgy, because a bunch of Protestants don't like it. Do you know that in the footnotes, now here's a fact, ladies, rebut this. In the footnotes of some of the Vatican documents, they say we would have treated of this fourth Marian dogma, except it would be a stumbling block or something, that's not the direct quote, to our separated brethren. So we left off with it. That's in the documents. I forget which document. Um, so this was a major undercurrent. Same as Pope John Paul II was really going to, at his consecration of Russia, he was going to name Russia, except a bunch of Eastern Orthodox schismatic, friendly bishops surrounded him and said, don't name Russia, this will alienate them. You see the difference? There's St. Paul-styled, narrowly tailored evangelization, good, and John Paul II, Paul VI, uh, Vatican II styled 
too narrowly tailored accommodations of other forms of Christian and even other false religions, polytheisms, that were evident at Vatican II inside and outside of the documents. Now, the references inside the documents aren't so damning. You just say this shows that the sort of skewed intent is real. doesn't invalidate the documents. You know what I think about the documents. None of them contain direct errors. I'm just saying there's plenty of evidence. Looks like there's somebody from Mass of the Ages in chat, and they said, we released a statement on the quote, it's not transliterated correctly. We attempted to be accurate, but do agree with them that it is misleading to say, quote, every prayer from the Mass. Cool. So, Thanks. Yeah. Nice, nicely stated. But I would de I'm defending you cats anyway by saying the, the quote, I was going to play it, now I'm worried about copyright strikes. I'm not sure on YouTube's rules. No one really is. Um, but I was going to play the, the prayer that they read instead, the Conventual Sisters of St. Dominic. It's not a lot better <laughs> in terms of evincing ecumenicality, ecumeniacality. It's, it's pretty wacky also. And sure, it's less sweeping when it's just one prayer rather than like all the prayers being considered stones to our separated brethren that they may trip over. Nevertheless, this is like the first of the first five criticisms that even begins to hit home a little bit, and it doesn't hit home much. So they are, man, they're defending the uh, infamous Bunini. Well, here we go. Um, okay. Critique number six, they have a, a little graph, a, a sort of like a T-chart, as to what the Council of Trent brought in and what it took out. The Council of Trent brought this in. The Council of Trent took this out. And before, I'll, I'll itemize both of those little T-charts, what it brought in, what it took out, in a moment. But it should suffice to say now that what they're attempting to do is to put alongside one another... The Council of Trent's changes to the Mass of the Ages and Vatican II's changes to the Mass of the Ages. And this dog shan't hunt. <laughs> it just doesn't go anywhere, man. After the Council of Trent, we got the TLM, an updated, slightly amended version. They didn't call it. I, I mean, you could, yes, technically it kind of had a new name. After... Vatican II, you got a totally new order of the Mass, the Novus Ordo, with a gutted iteration of the Old Mass, such that the Old Mass was essentially, this is another contested point, forever altered and on the path to being forever silenced, whatever the hell the status of it is now, after Pope Francis, after Traditionis Custodis, and they'd say, I'm begging the question. So let me get into the specifics. They, the sisters would claim I'm begging the question. Petitio Principia, which is a, a formal fallacy. Um, so let's get to what they claim the Council of Trent brought in that I guess they're insinuating is bad and what the Council of Trent took out that they're insinuating was bad. The prayers, it brought in the prayers at the foot of the altar. It brought in several offertory prayers. It brought in prayers after the dismissal, a new calendar, and... Low mass becomes the norm. There is a reason 
sisters, why these introductions, assuming arguendo that you're correct, there's a reason that historically speaking, these introductions, these, I hate, I hate this term. I hate it when trads use it. As I told Tim Flanders, I hate it when Novus Ordo people use it. There's a reason why, generally speaking, these novelties are cons- were considered, are considered, will always be considered, after the Council of Trent, organic developments. And there's a reason why what they took out after the Council of Trent would be considered organic developments. Well, here's what they took out. The prayers of the faithful. I, I can see why they took that out, man, now that we have it back with the Novus Ordo. I don't know. I, I'm going to say something that will get me in trouble. I don't like it. Um, offertory procession, particularly the way it appears in most Novus Ordo Masses, looks pretty lame. Some feast days and also took out other forms of Latin rite under 200 years old. So as part of this one, I would just say this, because their critique number six has to be tied to critique number seven, so I'll kind of do them together. But I would say this. I do urge caution to trads. I do. I, I always do. It's not that, you know the difference between joint and several, right? If we do something together, we can take our efforts, we can assess our efforts, like creating a new mass, if we're the bishops of the Roman Catholic Church. We can assess our efforts jointly, which means the collection of our efforts taken together, or we can take our efforts severally, which means what each person individually contributed, jointly and severally. It's not that, for us trads, severally, any of the Novus Ordo accretions or novelties are illegal or bad per se, line item, because they're not. They're not illegal or bad line item. Our trad critiques of the new mass should be that rather, jointly, in sum, all taken together, they all clearly evidence a schematic of something quite nefarious. This is not emotionalism, Sisters of St. Dominic. This is taking a factor view of what goes into a liturgy, the Roman rite of the liturgy rather than an elemental view. And it's the only thing I would argue that's appropriate. And I do urge caution to trads because trads will try to go through sometimes and say, this individual change made at the Novus Ordo, which none of us like, was illegal and bad. No, none of them were illegal or even necessarily bad on their own. Rather, they evince taken together using a kind of sensible factor test. Bad intent. And that's that's where we... That's a really damning critique. We don't have to take it further and say that anything illegal was done. Nothing illegal was done. It was just a bad mass. Let's just go back to what it was before, and we'll we'll conclude with that. But let me go on to number seven critique, okay? It's about organic growth. So about halfway through their video, they say, look, they, they title a section organic growth, a term I hate. And they, let me give this example, because when in my little group text chat, uh, one, of, one of the friends sent this thing and thought it was quote unquote devastating, this conventional Sisters of St. Dominic cr- criticism of Mass of the Ages, 
I responded with this. The liturgical changes represented by Vatican II are LARPing. False antiquarianism is a, is a term introduced by one of the guys in the text chat that I was agreeing with. LARPing, live-action role-playing, which they usually say trads do. Trads do sometimes do that. Tweed and leather elbow patch guys. <laughs> but, but the arguments are much stronger on the trad side. The arguments that are LARPed at are the, the pro-Novus Ordo arguments. The lifestyle accoutrements are sometimes LARPed at by us trads. And that, that we shouldn't do. We should be ourselves and just have the Latin Mass. But the point is this. I give this example. Continuity which is really what they mean when they say organic growth. Continuity through a change requires contiguity. Everyone say this with me. Continuity requires chronological contiguity. And what I mean by continuity is the philosophical concept of perduring when a substance undergoes, uh, and, and the mass isn't a substance, as I corrected lots of people. Trads and Novus Ordo were saying the Mass was a substance. It's not. The Eucharist is a substance. But when a substance undergoes accidental changes, it mostly remains the same, although several of its accidents have changed. The substance does not undergo what's called a substantial change. Okay, the Mass isn't a substance. But this is called the concept of perduring. It's an Aristo-Platonic Thomas thing. And what the pro-Novus Ordo people are trying to say here in critique number seven is that the Novus Ordo does represent organic growth, even though you can believe them or your own lying eyes, right? All of the growth from the Tridentine Latin Mass was pretty facially, obviously organic over the previous 700 years. Yeah, they tweaked stuff. They brought stuff in and they took stuff out, but no one was raging the way trads today rage after the advent of the Novus Ordo. That's because it was, by and large, I hate the term organic. A better term is that the changes were more like perdurances, remaining essentially the same, even though accidental changes did happen. Perduring. So what the sisters and all pro-Novus Ordo normies try to do is they try to say, look, there's just as much continuity uh, at and after Vatican II, at and after Sacrosanctum Concilium, to the liturgy, as there was before, during, and after the Council of Trent. That is facially wrong. What they did when they introduced Eucharistic prayers number two, three, and four at the Council is they went to, to obscure things that were done at the very beginning of Christianity that they knew they could align with ecumenism and the more leftist spirit of Vatican II stuff. This is my theory. And they wanted to circumvent, to obviate true continuity, the way that the Latin rite had developed, particularly through the high Middle Ages, the Tridentine Latin Mass, such as to not put too fine a point on it. And so what they did is they pulled out some things that might have been done at the very beginning of Christianity hadn't been seen for low 16, 1700 years, they reintroduced them in the Novus Ordo, Seclorum Mass or whatever. And, uh, and they, they simply said, oh, this is from the second century AD. Put that in your crack pipe and smoke it, trads. They knew we wouldn't like it. They knew they could weaponize those obscure outlier things that were done in early liturgies 
because they knew they could stretch him in a modernist direction. This would be like the NBA just celebrated its 75th year. Um, nerds out there, get ready for a sports analogy. I know you don't like sports ball, but NBA just celebrated 75th anniversary, right? Somewhere around its 70th year, they introduced femoid refs, referees, uh, referettes, <laughs> uh, female referees. I'm just having a little bit of fun with you today. Female referees. And that, and, and, you know, sane people everywhere balked at this. Come on, we want good calls. We want people that understand the game most deeply. We want all male refs. <laughs> Steph said male refs, yeah. Um, this is ridiculous. Imagine if the NBA countered by saying, well, in the NBA's first year right after World War II, not all of the men were still back yet because they were repairing Japan or whatever. <laughs> Whatever they had to do with, you know, the generals and stuff. So it was like a league of refs of their own where we had, in that first and second year, there were actually three games in 1948 and 1949, total three games where females as emergency refs had to be used. The the, the NBA didn't say this. It's a leftist organization. They just said, deal with it. We're getting female refs now. This is the new normal. But imagine if they said that, and they said it cockily. They said it self-assuredly. Oh, this is total continuity with tradition, even though no one in any of their lives, even if they're 60 years old and have watched NBA seasons all the way through for their whole life. You're 60, you've never seen a female ref? Well, deal with it. This is continuous, because it was done the obscure second season of the NBA, and it was done in two games. Therefore, there is continuity. That's precisely what these cocky, faithful pro-Novus Ordo people do with the continuity claim of the Novus Ordo. It's very annoying. (laughs) It's very irritating. Instead, continuity, I say, requires contiguity. Contiguity means touchingness. I mean, chronological touchingness. If you want something that's truly continuous, you have to have the... uh, element of contiguous if it's truly going to be continuous you can't just go back and be like well did you know in the mass of saint lawrence of arabia or whatever i mean whatever it is you're always hearing these obscure things they actually had people holding each other's gay hands during the our father it's like i don't care this isn't what was done for most of our history that's why it appeared as a novelty they found some obscure way to link it back and then you get people making videos cockily saying this is totally continuous even though no one's ever seen it before and it's definitely a leftist thing put there to diminish people's faith continuity requires contiguity i think mass of the ages very strongly shows this so please don't use this argument anymore when they they hit you with the obscurantist art, uh, argument oh well, this appeared in the second century ad saint like Lucy Arnez Jr. once said this modernist-sounding thing, therefore it's totally continuous. Say, well, it, was it contiguous? Was it done throughout all of the ages? The way the Latin Mass has mostly elements that have been appearing throughout all of the ages. The answer is no. The Novus Ordo, the, the new Eucharistic prayers, the, the priest facing versus populum, the shaking hands, high-fiving, giving a chest bump, 
in the middle of the, the consecratory portion of the mass. Like the, the foam fingers, <laughs> the beer and the pizza, the priest with the earring, with his, with his golden retriever running around during mass. That really happened to me in a Utah mass uh, that we attended with in-laws. It's embarrassing, and it's more embarrassing for faithful Catholics to try to defend it. Now, that brings us to the most important question of all questions. I hate it when my phone does this goes away from me. Which is, what is the connection between the Novus Ordo Mass, the way it appears 96% of the time, and Vatican II? And that's when we get to the eighth critique of the sisters. It's called, in their section called... uh, it appears in their section called Slashing the Mass Text. Let's have a peek at what they're saying. They're saying it's misleading. We're getting to the heart of the matter. What's the connection between the liturgical abuse that we see ubiquitously now and Vatican II, Sacrosanctum Concilium, the Concilium from 65, or maybe it's 66 through 69? What's the connection? Is there a connection? They seem as confused as us trads are confused as to whether or not there's a veritable connection between the silly clown masses that we see everywhere today and Sacrosanctum Concilium and the Concilium. We're all confused. I think I can clarify that. The slashing the mass text section, though, says that it's misleading for traditionalists to say that the, that the TLM got gutted. I find it misleading to say it's misleading to say that the TLM got gutted. The TLM did get gutted. Once again, we must apply a factor test, not an element test. Half the time, I'm, most of the time, I'm on this show when, I, when I've discussed with the parish orphans and retrogrades out there, the difference between a factor test and an element test, I'm usually saying we need to be applying an element test. I said it in the last video. That an element test is when you look at three properties, necessary properties, that make a thing what it is, that must be there. If you have a slight lacking in one of the three properties or one of the four properties, the thing is not what it claims to be. That's an element test. That's not what we should be applying to liturgy, aside from the very basic elements that, of course, the the Novus Ordo bringers made sure to get in because they knew of its own force. If they missed one of the elements, it would be out. Everyone's applying element tests, though, to factors. And factor tests give us a sense for the whole. If we apply three or four factors to what constitutes a good mass, and it's really strong on the number one factor, Eucharistic adoration, but it's non-existent at factor number three or number four, or really weak at factor number three or number four, we could still say, hey, the, the new mass could still stand if it had number one strongly. Eucharistic adoration, the whole point, the source and the summit of the faith. Obviously, the Novus Ordo doesn't have that. All the Novus Ordo has is, yes, you can go get the Eucharist, while the entire Mass sets up the reception of the Eucharist as a more trivial thing than what the TLM sets it up as. It's a general thing. The nuns, at times throughout their 18-minute video, call what I just said, using a factor test which is more holistic, emotionalism. It's not. It's simply dealing with reality. The bringers that had ill will of the Novus Ordo, guys like Bunini, 
the Ronerites, they made sure to check the boxes on the actual elements because the mass that they're trying to institutionalize would have been thrown out immediately if they lacked the Eucharist or they lacked a consecration or any kind of consecration prayer. We know that. So we must use a factor test. This brings me to their next, their next section, which is, I think, the most important slide in this entire video. So this is their critique number nine. They give uh, a slide that's called, it, it says at the top, the new order of the mass. And they represent the new order of the mass by adducing the following premises, bullet points. One, they say trads say it throughout the Latin falsely. Bullet point two, they say trads say that it mandated the vernacular, and trads say it falsely. They say that trads falsely claim that the new order of the Mass outlawed Gregorian chant and polyphony. Number four bullet point, they say that trads say falsely that the new Mass forced versus populum. Number five, that trads claim falsely that it introduced communion in the hand. Number six, that it omitted half the prayers. Number seven, that it destroyed the offertory. Number eight, that it has other novelties besides, and they adduce some of them. They enumerate some of them. This is particularly misleading. And it's, it's unclear whether the nuns themselves, by virtue of the fact that they're troubling to distinguish that the Novus Ordo in its platonic form, in the Missal of late 69 doesn't actually force these things, doesn't actually force Latin gone, chant gone, uh, ad orientum, consecratory posture to be gone. Are they admitting tacitly that it would be bad if the new mass did this in its missal, which is to say its blueprint form, its platonic form? I'm unclear on that. I, that's a real question. If anybody from the production of that video by the Conventual Sisters is watching, I literally, non-smarmily, non-sassily interrogate this. I'd like to know. Do the nuns admit that these changes, which don't actually come from Sacrosanctum Concilium and don't technically come, though it's a closer call, from the Missal of Paul VI, do they admit that those changes are bad? It sounds like they do. And that's when we have to talk about Venn diagrams, the solution to all this. Uh, that's what we have to, where we have to get into a Venn diagram, okay? So, point number nine. I guess it's just my point. Um, since they're unclear on whether they admit uh, that these changes introduced in the new order of mass slide two-thirds of the way through their video are bad. Our theory, Trad's theory, must be, and this is where I, I do have a, constructive critique for trads. Our theory must be showing overlap between a three-ven Venn diagram, okay? The three-ven, the Vens are the circles, if you don't know. And here's the claim that I'm prepared to defend to anyone at any time, okay? Any of the pro-Novus Ordo normies. The first Ven in your top left is a pre-1965, which is to say probably 1962 to 1965, Vatican II Council ongoing, spirit of Vatican II. There was a spirit of Vatican II among some personnel that were at the historical event of the Council from 62 to 65. That's then number one here, right? 
Then number two would be like 1965 itself when the concilium began or 66, uh, 1965 or six through 1969 when the concilium was convening to take a sacrosanctum concilium and write it into the Missal of Paul VI. Okay, so the second diagram is the concilium era, latter 60s, spirit of Vatican II. And the third diagram on bottom is spirit of Vatican II post-1969, once, once the Missal of Paul VI was released. So you get basically pre-1965, 65 to 69, and then post-69 up to present. See, the nuns and other pro-Novus Ordo normies will make arguments that go like this. Yes, there's a spirit of Vatican II, and we admit that it's bad, but they're always vague or just outright wrong by insinuating that the spirit of Vatican II crept up only after the release of the new missal in late 1969. It didn't. Personnel is policy, my friends. Personnel is policy. So what we must look for is the clear overlap of the cadre of personnel that schemed out the new mass in Sacrosanctum Concilium, knew where the vagaries would be that would be played on, that would be crafted into weaponized ambiguity and codified heteropraxy, later, after it was ratified by everyone. There was clearly a spirit of Vatican II evident during the concilium period from 65 to 69, represented by the same people or some of the same people. And then, yes, after 69, there was a spirit of Vatican II. Everyone acknowledges this period. That was represented by some of the same representatives in 1967, 1963, probably 1959, some of the same schemers saw the thing through like a thin blue thread that runs through other patches of fabric. So our theory, I would counter as part of my response to critique number nine, must be holistic. There is a unified personnel of bad actors which consolidates the council, and probably before the council, the concilium period, and the post-concilium period when the Novus Ordo was released. Spirit of Vatican II did not creep up, in other words, in 1970 and thereafter. There were guys that were at the council that were radicals, that were on the concilium that were radicals, that ensured that these odd novelties that appear in neither Sacrosanctum Concilium nor the Missal of Paul VI would appear in 95% of masses around the country as they're said today. And the proof of this appears to anybody that takes road trips by car. Me and my family have an RV, and we road trip often during the summer. And we don't use the dispensation you get for traveling on Sunday Mass. We will stop by masses. It's usually some crappy iteration of the Novus Ordo. It's usually borderline blasphemous, and it's always the same. How is that the case? Anyone out there, how and why? Nuns of, nuns, sisters of St. Dominic, I'm asking you, how and why, if I travel around this once great republic 
post-republic of ours. In a car, the way I do in the summers with my family, why on Sundays in Orlando, in Duluth, in Dallas, in Phoenix, wherever I go, the main masses will have all of the same abusive features. How? If there is not a uniting principle which binds the mass as it's said to the concilium mass, the Missal of Paul VI, or Sacrosanctum Concilium, then how did this great coincidence happen? I call it binder drop theory. And so trads have to take up the mantle of making our main point in restoring the TLM, not saying that it's not licit or invalid or any of these things. We have to just say, look, if every kid drops his binder, 30-child classroom in a sixth-grade classroom, on a day when they have a substitute teacher at 2.58 p.m. on the dot, which is what we used to do when we had substitute teachers. The substitute teacher, who's not an idiot, will say, okay, clearly this evidence is a conspiracy among all 30 of you. What the nuns, the sisters of St. Dominic and all the Novus Ordo Normies who defend it out there say is that this is a coincidence. Everyone dropped his binder at 2.59 on the nose, and it was just, just, it was an accident. You know what an accident is? It is a happening, a material happening that lacks a formal cause and a final cause. Something that happens without a formal cause and a final cause. It's ridiculous. That's what you're asking us to say. That everyone accidentally knocked their binder off. 30 out of 30 children at the exact same time. That's why we laugh. And that's why your claims are really weak. I call it binder drop theory. I didn't come up with that today. You have to have an answer for that. There is a personnel that unites 1962, 1965, 1967, 1971. I'm picking years inside and outside of those three epochs. And no one's ever had a good answer for me, by the way. Any normie, hit me with your answer. How and why is there a constellation a rubric that is off the books, a meta rubric that requires people to do all of the worst stuff most of the time, not all the time. And the sisters produce some Novus Ordo with Latin chant that's said in mostly Latin. That's yeah. You know why we talk about that unicorn mass? Because each of us has seen it once or nuns. <laughs> We've seen it one or zero times. I'm asking why. If I go to the biggest 10 o'clock a.m. mass because I'm traveling through Orlando or Tallahassee or Atlanta and I just need to fulfill my obligation for that Sunday as I travel around in my RV, why will the biggest masses, the most easy ones to find, the most commonly found ones, why will they all have all the same abuses? You can't answer. And none of you can because it would force you to say something untoward or unpleasant about the people the people who gave us the Novus Ordo, the intent of the people who gave us the Novus Ordo. I defend the council documents. I say technically, even if there is a private ill intent, the real meaning of a document, sacred or secular, if it was ratified document, lies in the original public meaning. So we would block out, like the Husserlian epoche, we would block out the private or the uh, changed meaning 
of the Council of Constitutions. I'm with you there. Uh, number 10, their critique goes, it's titled Commentaries. They say, well, the, the main commentators among trads are prominent internet figures. Well, who they're slandering? That's not, they're, they're making it sound, they're slurring, not slandering. They're making it sound like being a prominent internet figure. Uh, sorry if I'm touchy on this. <laughs> uh, is some sort of, no, no, it's not. Um, and they say extreme or even heretical. And they say we offer emotional perspectives and popular traditionalist mantras. I don't offer popular traditionalist mantras unless I've triple-checked them for soundness. And a lot of the mantras are triple-checked. Yeah, they should have released that before they made their video. I've pointed out how many flaws now? Ten? Major flaws. Whole swings and misses for the first four critiques. The rest of the, them have, like, major flaws, but at least have a, an element of truth. The first four critiques have, like, none. But I want I underlined here on my notes the, the first bullet point, prominent internet figures who make extreme, even heretical critiques. Now, the reason this sticks in my craw, folks, is because to use this H word, particularly by a normie who uses this H word, heretical, is a, a bar that they have set so incredibly high, they start having a shit fit, an absolute shit fit. If you say... Hey, man, Pope Francis said something heretical the other day. He said for like the fourth time in his pontificate at a Wednesday audience, Jesus didn't do real miracles, aside from sharing. Or Jesus told Eugenio Scalfari that Jesus wasn't God while he was human. That's heretical. I mean, in the common sense of the term. Or Pope Francis stuck into the Acta Apostolica Sedis that the Argentine bishops have the only correct interpretation of Amoris Laetitia, which is actually materially heretical. These normies will start having conniptions if you use heretical in the common sense. So in the common usage, not the juridical usage, the juridical usage of heretic that they will always recur to when you start talking about Pope Francis, whom they defend. They'll be like, well, it's a juridical pronouncement. Are you a cardinal? <laughs> are, you a, uh, are you a cardinal? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's providence or something. And they'll say, are you a cardinal? If you say the H word, it's like, well, no, but I'm pretty sure that it's heretical to say Jesus wasn't God while he was a man. I'm not saying the cardinals have pronounced this heresy by Francis yet. I, I know, I get it, but there is a more common usage. There are equivocal usages of terms, and the equivalent, uh, the uh, equivocal usages are can be simultaneously valid, particularly popular usages. So I think it's kind of mean. I think it's kind of hilariously selective. Wow, mean that they will call trad internet personalities that they don't like heretical. I mean, it's right there on the slide at about uh, 12 or 13 minutes into their video. 14 minutes in, I think. They call it heretical. I'm not sure what many trads are out there saying they're heretical. I don't defend a lot of the things trads have said. I've critiqued, because I'm very specific in my approach to stuff, some of the sweeping critiques trads have offered. There are trad tropes and mantras which are flat wrong, like what they say about Dignitatis Humanae. I'm like, no, no. They'll add words like Martin Luther. But that's not heretical. That's just inaccurate. 
or that's bush quality, bush league internet stuff. But there's good internet stuff, like what you're watching right now, where things are triple checked. So don't call us heretical when none of these trads, here's what I'll say for even the most extreme of these trads, none of them would sit there idly if someone were to say Jesus wasn't God during his 33 years on earth. They get mad. I get mad. That is a heretical thing to say. They get mad if you say Catholics reproduce like rabbits, sneeringly. They get mad if you say that you can give communion to someone in an unrepented state of mortal sin. Comes from Amoris Laetitia. They get mad if you say right out of Amoris Laetitia that the logic of the gospel can't punish someone eternally. I don't know what else to call that but heretical. But you say, oh, well, that's a juridical term in its technical usage, and you have to wait for cardinals to recognize how heretical it is before you can say heretical. Okay, fine, fine, in that secondary usage. So Pope Francis, who said all four or five of those things I just adduced, is not heretical in the formal sense. But he is in the material sense, and maybe in some future tense, in the formal sense. So you got to deal with that, sisters. Um, okay, and this is this is a real important moment. Here's my their critique number 11. They produce quotations back-to-back -back at about 15 minutes into the video from Sacrosanctum Concilium and then Pope Francis's from this year, 2022, Desiderio Desideravi. And they're approving of both of them. Now, I think the quote from Sacrosanctum Concilium, like a lot of stuff, or maybe all of the stuff from Sacrosanctum Concilium, it's pretty good. But then, well, let me, let, me, let me get to it. Let me read what they say, what they quote from Sacrosanctum Concilium. It is the wish of the church to undertake careful general reform of the liturgy in order that the Christian people may be more certain to derive an abundance of graces from it. Uh, for the liturgy is made up of unchangeable elements divinely instituted, plus... Elements subject to change. But the nuns produce this quotation from Sacrosanctum Concilium to accomplish something that contradicts what they'd said three slides before, because they, they use slides for this thing. They're contradicting now what they said about, um, in critique number nine, uh, the Novus, uh, the New Order of the Mass slide, where they go through and they say, hey, all of this bad stuff, like forcing versus populum, this doesn't actually come from Sacrosanctum Concilium. I'm like, oh, I'm, well, I'm glad that you tacitly nuns agree that it's it would be bad to force versus populum on people. But now, you know, I would point out that this was not done carefully. It is the wish of the church in Sacrosanctum Concilium to undertake careful general reform. Our critique as trads is that it wasn't done carefully. Our critique of trads, as trads, is that the following quote from Desiderio Desideravi shows how uncareful it is, and also Desiderio Desideravi by Pope Francis proves, it proves that there is some sort of connection between people who defend Vatican II, people who wrote Vatican II, people who were at Vatican II, and their progeny, like Francis, 
and the things like banning Latin, banning chant, banning ad orientum. Let me read from Desiderio Desideravi, and then I'll, I'll, after that I'll substantiate the claim I just made. He writes in Desiderio Desideravi, I would like this letter to help to rekindle our wonder for the beauty of the truth of the Christian celebration, to remind us of the necessity of an authentic liturgical formation, and to recognize the importance of an art of celebrating that is at the service of the truth of the Paschal Mystery. So many words. So many of clauses. I can't even get this out. And of the and, and participation of all the baptized in it, each one according to his or her vocation, all this richness is not far from us. Just word salad. So many of clauses. <laughs> Literally. Of the necessity of an authentic liturgical formation, of an art of, cele- of celebrating that is at the service of the truth, of the Paschal Mystery, and of the participation of all the baptized in it. It's a joke. I don't know what any of that means. If you're diagramming that sentence, they're all prep phrases. <laughs> it is 100%, it's like 95% prep phrases. That, that means the main part of the sentence, subject, predicate, direct object, is hardly there. But here's why I point this out. Desiderio Desideravi is part of, the, of Pope Francis's unabashed, unhiding effort to get rid of the Latin Mass, qua chant, qua Latin, qua ad orientum. The sisters who made this critique piece, hit piece, on Mass of the Ages were profoundly unclear, profoundly unclear, as to whether or not such eliminations by church authority would be bad. They say they don't come from Sacrosanctum Concilium. I agree with you, ladies. But... When you raised it in your slide number nine, your critique number nine, you made it sound like you agreed with me that those would be bad. Three slides later, you're praising Desiderio Desideravi, which facially, openly, notoriously makes this goal. Also, if you're still doubtful, remember four lengths ago when one Cardinal Sarah encouraged all the priests of the world to just during Lent celebrate the Mass facing liturgical East. What did the Vatican do? Less than 24 hours later, they got, they're quick on the sticks when, they, when they're getting a dubia or a gauntlet throw that they want to respond to. They got on the sticks less than 24 hours later and they said, you guys don't have to do this. Priests of the world disregard what Cardinal Sarah said you do not have to face liturgical East. Nuns, sisters of St. Dominic, what have you to say? What have you to say? That's a fact that the second uh, a pro-Novus Ordo cardinal, a high-ranking prelate, the former prefect for the Congregation for Divine Worship, I think he was still prefect, wasn't he? Wasn't that, was that four or five Easter's ago? He was still the prefect for the CDW. He said, hey, I want everyone to try facing liturgical East, which all of these pro-Novus Ordo normies who are actually faithful claim they like ad orientum. They claim, rightly, that the prejudice of left caths against ad orientum doesn't come from Sacrosanctum Concilium. 
So why and how do you sisters explain, and you people that defend the Novus Ordo out there, explain the fact that Francis actually does, Pope Francis, takes under his own mantle, assumes willingly the special class of vague anti-TLM, anti-tradition items from Novus Ordo that don't appear in Sacrosanctum Concilium or even the Missal of Paul VI. He claims them as his own with statements uh, like the statement against Cardinal Sarah four or five Easter's ago. You see what I mean? And the sisters have nothing to say that. After insinuations, three critiques back to the effect that, yeah, Ad Orientum's cool, Latin's cool, chant's cool. Just be cool, trads, with Sacrosanctum Concilium because it's not against all those things. Now... They're quoting Desiderio de Sideravi and Francis, and they're praising D.D. and Francis. Even though Francis and Desiderio de Sideravi, unlike Sacrosanctum Concilium, embraces these liturgical abuses of trad things like Latin and Ad Orientum. You guys have got to get your story straight. Now, too many trads out there make your job, sisters of St. Dominic, too easy by overgeneralization, but I'm not an overgeneralizer. I'll go through with a fine-tuned comb and find this stuff. Okay? So let's get to critique number 12. Um, they say, they close pretty much, they close up shop with the last main thrust of their argument, the 12th, by saying, if the trads would just, this isn't a direct quote, if the trads would just stop implementing a, a, a liturgical war, then here's the direct quote. We might have a chance of implementing Vatican II's ideals. What? Wait, what? what? I thought that Vatican II's ideals were already implemented. And that yes, they've been left of the line on this. They've been right of the line on this in their short video. They can't make up their mind. Are Vatican II's ideals implemented or not? Most normies will admit that Sacrosanctum Concilium isn't really the mass that we got? Okay, but then why did you just spend 18 minutes defending the faulty non-SC, non-Sacrosanctum Concilium mass that we got? They can't decide. I was saying this to my buddy who sent me this video. I was like, wait, is the mass that's been handed down to him the Vatican II mass or not? Will the hemming and the hawing begins. Is it or not? Yeah, because I look to Sacrosanctum Concilium, and I interpret Sacrosanctum Concilium as, this is basically the TLM. You can, I guess, do the readings in the vernacular, uh, do a couple other things, and boom, say, hey, this is all that the council requires us to do, and basically have the TLM with the readings in the Novus Ordo. I know some of you purists are having, purist trads are having a conniption, even the, the readings are in Latin, but come on, no one would be mad. We'd all be happy with that. But... What do you mean we might have a chance of implementing Vatican II's ideals? Isn't that the job of the concilium? The concilium, which like a congressional subcommittee, worked from 1965 or 66, I forget which, to 69, which was supposed to be implementing Vatican II's uh, liturgical ideals. That's what their whole job was. We're lay people. Okay, so I have a chance to do it. They're, they're re they really want to turn this over to the lay people? Put me on the, the new concilium. I'll do it. I'll say, give me a TLM with uh, one little fruity measure. 
you know, one little thing, go check. Okay, we have no problem. The council has spoken. Sacrosanctum Concilium's on point. We added one of the readings in the vernacular. The rest of it's just the TLM. Bye. Like Damian Lillard waving to Russell Westbrook after he hit that shot. That's what I would do if you put me on the Concilium. What do you mean we might have a chance of implementing Vatican II ideals? The people that were supposed to do it, like one Annabale Bonini, did the opposite of implementing Vatican II ideals, assuming the best about Sacrosanctum Concilium for the sake of argument. Trad's out there having... See, people are just having conniptions everywhere. I'm assuming the best about Sacrosanctum Concilium. I'm going to say, okay, it's basically in continuity with tradition, Sacrosanctum. So let's basically just make one small little tweak to the TLM or two small little tweaks. And cool, there we go. But the nuns instead, after offering us this, hey, we should, we should get down to it because the Novus Ordo, it's insinuated strongly, really isn't an implementation of Vatican II's ideals. Well, then why are you beating up on Mass of the Ages? Don't you guys agree then? Friends, Perjorvin's retrogrades. Schizophrenia that runs this deep as this concluding statement for the video, we might have a chance of implementing V2's ideals only comes from the devil. That This is a diabolic disorientation so profound that these, I'm sure, otherwise goodly holy sisters of, of St. Dominic, I keep forgetting the name. Somebody's saying they might be lay sisters. Okay, they might be lay sisters, whatever, who cares? I, I, I don't, you know, trying to stand up here and do this live is harder than, than a lot of you guys think, okay? Um, whatever they are, lay sisters, religious sisters, who cares? The point is, I'm sure... I want to assume the best in Christian charity. They're probably good people. They're probably pretty good Catholics. But you contradicted yourself, and it's a really important contradiction. This is not nitty-gritty. This is not petty. If you think that Vatican II's liturgical ideals are yet to be implemented, then join us, trads. We got room. We want you on our side. We think Sacrosanctum Concilium's ideals are yet to be implemented. We think that guys like Bunini, who you just went to bat for in your 18-minute video, Bunini contradicted, subverted, even inverted Vatican II's SC ideals, Sacrosanctum Concilium ideals. You, your, your last sentence contradicted everything you adduced, every bit of evidence you produced in a short 18-minute video. This kind of cognitive dissonance only comes from the kind of confusion that's been sowed just before, during, and after the council. Yeah, I, I hope you understand. This is basic. Anyone like my pal who watched this video and thought it was uh, devastating to trads, it's devastating to the pro Novus Ordo crowd. To watch it, to watch it is to be like, oh, wow, I guess the folks that try to defend the Novus Ordo in a robust way really must be wrong because they're producing videos like this. They're saying out both sides of the mouth within the same video, Vatican II's liturgical ideals have been implemented with the Novus Ordo. And then at the end or at the beginning, they're saying, Vatican II's liturgical ideals have not yet been fully implemented. 
It's one way or the other. That is a binary. Like man or woman. There's no halfway point there. There's no gray shade. Uh, so I, I would welcome any response by anyone who knows the conventual sisters of St. Dominic. I would be thrilled. Uh, some trads play fast and loose with the truth. There are some trad mantras or tropes that aren't accurate, like what's said about some of the non-liturgical conciliar documents. You know, what's said about that some, some trads will say that Buddhism and Hinduism are endorsed in Lumen Gentium and, and Nostra Aetate. No, no, no. There's a difference between use and mention. Use, mention, distinction. They're just saying the Buddhists and the Hindus believe this. So, boom, you can go to town in a really know it all y, actually way. Actually, you can hit those people squarely between the eyes, those trads that, that make those mistakes, that step in those foot traps. And there are people out there like, you know, Michael Lofton that, that do this. There's a cottage industry and, and of successfully, accurately, I'd say dispassionately saying, oh, they stepped in this trap. But then it seems that some of these people overgeneralize themselves, fall into danger by getting less specific, and then being like, so trads aren't right about the Novus Ordo. That doesn't mean trads aren't right about the Novus Ordo. Their trads are generally right about the Novus Ordo. It's suspicious, more than a little suspicious. And Novus Ordo defenders are not right about the Novus Ordo. Novus Ordo defenders are not of one mind. They are of two minds, like the devil, on whether or not the Novus Ordo is the pinnacle of the liturgical ideals implement, uh, uh, urged for in Sacrosanctum Concilium. So uh, Mass of the Ages' uh, second video is very strong. Uh, yeah, contact, contact, uh, Cameron and, and them guys at Mass of the Ages. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be in Mass of the Ages number three. So I kid two was really strong. I, I really, I really like two a lot more than one. Anyway, God bless you guys. We all hearken for the same thing. Keep our ears tuned. The return to liturgical tradition it's not all just a bunch of brainless mantras. There is real stuff. There is real content, real substance to the critiques of the Novus Ordo. I'm sorry. This, this video made me stronger in that suspicion than I've ever been. Des Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb.